because of what I do, I, uh, I travel, uh, not too often, but I probably spend about uh, three or four nights either in a hotel room or uh, in someone else's house, and no matter how nice the bed is, um, in fact, it's probably nicer than our, our mattress. We kind of have that like double egg thing going, so it doesn't matter like where you sleep in the bed, you kind of end up in the same spot. But anyway, so no matter when I'm staying at someone's house or in a hotel room, it doesn't matter how comfortable uh, the bed is, I, I, I find it difficult to, to, to fall asleep. And so I, I'm you know, laying in bed for, for a couple hours, and then when I fall asleep, it's restless, and I've always come home uh, tired, uh, and, and, but my bed, it's just a total different deal. As soon as my head hits the pillow, my wife will tell I'm in REM sleep, and, you know, we're, we might, she'd like, go brush your teeth, come back, I'm asleep, I'm out. My, my bed, my home is a completely different deal. There's something about my house I just uh, find more rest in. In fact, just, it's just the, the home in general. It's just like there's, I, I learned that because I went on sabbatical about a year and a half ago, and I found myself kind of getting restless when I was in other people's houses or even in a hotel because there's like, you know, like at my house, I, I know how to get a snack, and at your house, I really don't know, or I know how to do coffee over here, and I don't know what your rhythms are. And so there's just something about this ache to get home. There is something in my, and there is that familiarity. There's this familiarity for me. When I, when I go home, I know what to expect. I, I know it's going to look a certain way, feel a certain way, and uh, look a certain way. I know that my daughters are going to come up, and they're going to want to talk. I know that my son is going to want to compete, and I know that my wife is going to give me a high five and say it's your turn. And so we, I, I just know what to expect. And there's this familiarity of, of being home that gives me rest. It's like we don't, the, we have this blue chair, it's a swivel chair. It's, it's, it's certainly not the best chair in the world, but it's, it's, it's a chair that I like to be in. And so I, I can find uh, rest there. It's, in my home is a place where I'm known completely. There's no pretending. It's just, uh, uh, you know, my, my family, they know my strengths and, and they, they know me for me. They know my weaknesses. My wife knows my uh, challenges. She knows my difficulties. She knows them well. And because of that, it's a place where I can just relax and recharge. It's a place where I can find rest. And, and I bring that up all t- today because that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. It's kind of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying there, there's this place of rest that God has for us. There's this home. He talks about this home, this house where we can come in and we can sit down. We can, we can be in our blue chair. Or we can be in our couch or whatever it is. And we can be known. We can be loved and we can find rest. And so we, we have this little break in the sermon calendar. So I just wanted to spend a couple of weeks really just talking about uh, God's rest, and it's in this. It's in this story here, and so what's being unpacked here in these in these verses, at least the first five that we read. Actually, in the first part, there's this invitation, and then in the second part, there's this warning. And so, this invitation really is to come into His house, uh, and it mentions that four or five different times that God has a house. God has a place that I was referring to, a place uh, where uh, of rest, a place of healing, where you can come and and be loved and be and be known. And uh, now I, I got to clarify something here, because historically, you know, we've gotten confused about what the house of God is, and I think we've made some progress that is in the church as a recent history, but there's this confusion about, okay, what really is God's house? Is God's house a building? Uh, is that what it is? And so historically, people have thought that way, like they, that, that I come to the church, I come to a place, and uh, but God's house isn't a building. God's house is not brick and mortar and sheetrock and electrical wires. It's, it's, it's a people. It, it's, a, it, it's a group. And 
And, and that's really important uh, distinction to make. And all throughout the Bible, God's communicating to us that, I, you know, I'm calling you to a group of people. I'm calling you to myself, and I'm calling you uh, to others. And in fact, God rebukes us even in the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, through the prophet Isaiah when he says, my heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. footstool. What will you build for me? It's kind of like, it's, this is, God's kind of mocking us like we could build a house for him out of brick and mortar and sheetrock. It's kind of like me like giving you know, bad at hitting lessons to Matt Holiday. It's like the guy's like 300 hitter hitting 90 to 100 mile an hour fastballs with movement, and I can't even handle 60 miles an hour at Tower T. I mean, I'm like, I can't even do that, but I'm going to give him hitting lessons. I'm going to give him batting lessons. And God's like, I created the universe. I put the stars in place. You're going to build me a house? ridiculous. I mean, so it's just like, what could you do for me? And so it's really important to understand that distinction because if you don't, you're going to think that you've joined an institution and not people. So you, you know, maybe you come in here regularly or semi-regularly or whatever. And so your deal is like, here's how I connect with God. How I connect with God is I come and I, and I do certain religious things. I offer these certain sacrifices and that makes, that connects me with God. So it's like, you know, so what is a sacrifice? Well, I'm not playing golf this morning. You know, I'm, I'm not, so, so, so God, I'm, I'm here, I'm not playing golf, so now me and you are even, all right? Or, or I come in here and I, I give a few dollars, or I, I serve here and I serve there, and I do something once or twice a week, and now there's this exchange that happens, and what ends up happening is we think that that is what connects with God, but all along, um, man, the church isn't a building, church isn't a place, the church isn't a place where you come and do these religious activities isolated from other individuals, but God's house is made up of people. And that's what he says here. It says here in uh, the middle of uh, verse six, it says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And so God is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. We kind of hit that earlier in the fall, but also it says, and we are his house, that God's house is a people. First Peter two says that God, that as we come to him, as we come to Jesus, the living stone, like, you know, he's the one we're after. He's the one that as we come to him, he's building us as also living stones, brick upon brick, life upon life into this spiritual house. And so he's saying that his home is a people. My home and my people are those who would trust me, who would submit to me, who would want the life that I have, who'd want to live the way that I've lived and who would who allow me to reign into their life. So this, what this text is saying here is God's inviting us to be a part of his house. It's a house where we can come and we can be known and we can be loved. It's a place that we're, we can have our souls recharged and we can find peace for our weary soul because I think everyone knows that our soul needs rest. At the end of the day, we all know that our soul needs a resting place. Resting place. That's why we do all that we do. That's why we're looking to acquire wealth. That's why we're in the relationships we're in. That's why we're like going after career advancement is because the pushing in in our life, the ambition in our life is is trying to uh, bring rest 
for our soul. So we think if I could just get to this level, if I can get to this place, if I can have this relationship, if I can just manipulate the situation to be like this, that's when I'll find rest, but to get, only to get there and to be supremely disappointed. But Jesus stands at the door and he says, come in. I'm inviting you into rest. I want you to come and sit on the couch. I want you to come put your feet up. I want you to come and be known. I want you to come and be in that place where your soul can finally find rest. And that is the invitation that goes out. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says in the beginning. And then he says, hey, this comes with a warning. Because it's been my experience. It's been, it was the experience of the writer of Hebrews. And I think you can track with this, that this invitation goes out, but... It's an invitation that most of us pass up on, so there's a warning. So let's kind of read that again. Uh, I'll pick it up in the middle of verse 6. It says, And we are his house indeed, uh, if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice. And that's a cool part because today, this, right now he's uh, uh, quoting Psalm 95. And even though David wrote it, it says the Holy Spirit says, this kind of scripture there, testifying of scripture. It's pretty cool there. So it says, the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. And so what's happening here is that the writer of Hebrews is referencing a story, this story of God's people in the Old Testament, which you can read about primarily in Exodus, where God comes and he miraculously saves his people. So they were in bondage in uh, Egypt for more than 400 years. And so God comes to Moses and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And that's where the whole 10 plague thing happened. You know, the frogs, the blood and the gnats and the flies and all of that. And, you know, me and my son, we've been recently going through, um, we've been recently going through the, uh, the plagues and, you know, because we're guys, we're, we're, hey, you know, which one do you think's the worst one? And, and I'm like, hands down the boils. And, and he's like, um, well, I think it's the cattle because then we wouldn't have any food. And he's like, well, maybe if I was really big though, maybe I, you know, I could live a while without having food. So maybe you're right. Maybe it's the boils. And, but what we can both agree on is like darkness is like the easiest one to handle. He's like, you know, we can just watch TV. And so um, <laughs> I'm playing the iPhone. And so, which is always interesting to me because you think about like, you know, think about if you live like in northern Alaska in the dead of winter and you're reading that one of God's plagues is darkness, you're just like, wow, maybe I don't live in the right place. But anyway, so, so God comes and he miraculously saves his people out of Egypt, right? And then as they're going, then the Egyptian army's on their tail and then God like parts the Red Sea, right? An ocean spreads it apart. Two million people plus walk through dry land with the oceans parted. They get over uh, uh, across the Red Sea. The Egyptian army comes in and God closes the Red Sea, completely destroying the Egyptian army. God leads them to this land, um, this promised land that was just on the other side of the Jordan River. And so he leads them up to the edge of the Jordan River. He says, 
over here is a promised land. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I know that milk and honey doesn't sound all that appeasing unless you're like drinking tea or something, but I mean like, okay, it's a land flowing with like beer and pizza. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a land flowing with coffee and donuts. Or I'll be inclusive here. It's a land flowing with quinoa and kombucha. So it's like, you know, whatever... <laughs> Kombucha, whatever it is. I don't know, some nasty stuff. But if you, whatever, like it's a land flowing with that, that what, you know, whatever you would want. But what it represents is saying this is a land where there's wealth. This is a land where there's protection. There's a land where you can find rest. You can find rest. And I want to take you into it. But this is literally why they don't go in. They're like, well, we can't go in there so, because they sent spies and they sent 12 spies out. And the first two spies, they came out and said, hey, man, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It has all the stuff that we want and we can take it. We got it. This is ours. And then the other 10 come back and say, they're too tall. God's like, I just killed the most powerful army on the face of the planet. I can handle 6'4". I... I <laughs> I can do, well, okay, what about the river? The river's tall and it's raging and I don't know if we can get through. I just parted the ocean. I just parted the ocean. And so it's just like, you know, we have, we, in our lives, we, you know, we have like things that God has just done in our life powerfully. Like, you know, if you're a Christian here, like he's, he's saved you out of bondage, right? He saved you out of Egypt. He's brought you across the Red Sea. You, you, and, and, he, and the Egyptian army, what, what, what kept you in bondage is buried on the floor of the sea. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He has defeated your greatest enemies of Satan, sin, and death. Yeah, but I don't know if he can handle my marriage. Yeah, I, I don't know that I can really trust him with my finance. I don't know that I can trust him in this relationship. And so we don't cross over into this place of rest that God is inviting us to. So he's like, fine, wander. And they do. So the people of God, they, they wander. They don't enter into God's rest and they wander in this land around the same place for 40, lift, 40 years. They're, they're wandering, they're weary, they're wanting. And even in that though, here's the cool thing about God, even in our wandering, even in their wandering, God is still taking care of them in miraculous ways. He's still guiding them. He's still leading them. Food falling out of the sky, water coming out of a rock. And, they, and he's still even though they're, they're, they're saying no to him, he's still coming with this invitation over and over and over again. And because they can't see the goodness of God, they begin to grumble and complain. Can you imagine that? Church folk grumbling and complaining about their life. I know it's kind of hard to imagine. I mean, God is like dropping bread from the sky. They're like, I'm, I'm, you know, God hates us. You know, you're going to eat that? You know, just like, you know, just like, they're in these miraculous ways, he's taking care of them. And yet they get into this dark, dark place where they can't even see the goodness of God. And so they wander and they wander and they do not find rest for their souls. Wisdom becomes like foolishness, foolishness like wisdom. And then they get, we get into this place where we think even Egypt would be better. 
So we're standing on the banks of amazing promise for our lives. We're standing on the base, uh, on the on the bank of rest, true rest for our souls. But we are so disillusioned that we would rather go back into bondage. And you see this in the Bible. You see this in our life. So you have Jacob and Esau. We know about Esau, who traded his rest who traded his birthright, who traded his inheritance, who traded his rest in God for a bowl of soup. The Israelites did it for cucumbers, 12 inches of indigestion. (laughs) What do you, what are you trading in for your rest? What is it in your life that you're saying no to God's rest, but yes to something else? And don't fool yourself into thinking that is any less, what's the word I'm looking for? Pathetic than a bowl of soup or a cucumber. We've all been there. I can trace back to every time in my life where my face has been like, yeah, whatever, to a time where I said, where God said, go. And I said, no. Where God was leading this way, and I went the other way. Where's God leading? What is he saying to you? Where's he speaking? What are you saying no to? And I think there, my friends, is a crossroads in our lives between being in the rest of God, finding that place, finding that place that our every soul, every heart in the universe desperately, desperately wants Where we have the crossroads between the peace that we want, the joy that we want, the, the, the feeling that I'm okay that we want, the crossroads is do we believe in the goodness of God or do we think that he's holding out on us somehow? And it, 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 you see, the, the enemy of our soul, the devil, is not, he's not very inventive. It's the same lie that he tells over and over and over again. So you go back to the Garden of Eden. God's holding out on you, Eve. God is inviting you. He, he says he's inviting you into rest. He says he's inviting you into a good place. But I say he's holding, something, he's holding something out on you. And so we say no to God. And we, we wander. And we know the story. We've read the stories. And we know this. And yet we still wander. We still do not find the rest that our soul wells. But here's the good news. The invitation is still there. The invitation is still there. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The psalmist says it this way, taste and see that the Lord is good. And let me tell you where I think this really hits us here at Jubilee. This is a Jubilee-specific thing. I think if you were to take the continuum between grace over here and legalism over here, um, I think we're kind of like over here on, on, on the grace side. Not to say that we, we don't ever struggle with legalism, but just on par. Like we don't have anyone here that's like walking around with the whistle, calling people out for watching rated R movies. I mean, you can vote your conscience. Um, uh, you can have tattoos and no one's going to look at you funny. Uh, you know, I don't have anyone calling me up because, you know, we played Jimi Hendrix, you know, over the speakers or whatever, and I need to talk to an elders. We don't have any of that. That doesn't happen here. 
I don't get those phone calls. We don't have anyone like trying to like nitpick the rules. But I'll tell you where this intersects us is that we'll take, some, we'll take the message of grace and in our misunderstanding, we'll twist it and we'll use it to hide behind us dealing with our junk. So God will forgive me, so I don't need to deal with that. Yeah, God will forgive you, but he's leading you somewhere. He's leading you somewhere. I, I, can, I can spend my money the way I want to spend it. I can hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. I can, I, can, I can do all this and I can still be okay because of this twisted understanding of grace that I'm hiding myself behind when all along God is saying, hey, I've got rest for you. That's why it says in this warning in verse um, seven, it says, today, if you hear God's voice. Today, not tomorrow. Today, if you hear God's voice, what is it that God's speaking to you? What is he saying? Hey, I want to lead you this way. I want to lead you away from this direction. I want to point you to, God is speaking something to you. Maybe he's saying it to you directly. Maybe he's saying something through your community group. Maybe you've heard something here. Maybe just in your, in your reading of scripture, maybe a friend has come alongside you and say, hey, I really think that, you know, um, you know the Bible says that you should, you should play your marriage this way, and you're kind of over here a few degrees, and you're like, yeah, that's right, I agree with you, and you put it on the shelf, and you wonder. And you're wondering why the church doesn't work for you. Today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear your voice, don't be like, it says, don't be like those in the rebellion, referring back to this, this period of time where the Israelites just wandered around, wandered around, wandered around, same mountain, same problem. I mean, if you were just to step out of your life for a second and just look at it objectively, I know this is true of my life. Like, I, if I could step outside of my life, I could see, man, I'm just, like, it's the same thing every, over, over and over again. Just wandering around. But the invitation to God is still like, hey, you can come in, you can find Rest. But we say, no, and I know, I know, I know, I know. Like if you're in the middle of some junk, if you're in the middle of something and you're holding on to bitterness or anger, you just like, you know God wants you to go this way and you're just not doing it. And you have, I know you have a hundred reasons why it makes sense that you don't do this. It seems like when you're in the middle of your junk, one like the worst things in your mind is like, I, I can't deal with it because if I deal with it, I have to confess it. And if I confess it, they won't think that I'm perfect anymore. I got a newsflash for you. You're not perfect and neither is anyone else. Why would you want to live in pretend land? It's like the worst place in the world to live. It's the worst neighborhood that you could live in is pretend land. Where everything is like great. And, and, and just in, for the generational purposes, I, I have found that true. I found that those who have been walking with Jesus who are a little bit, a little bit older, they, 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 want, they like to pretend and the thinking is, I should have been over this by now. I'm in year 15 with Jesus, and I should have dealt with this in year one. And maybe you should have. I don't know. But there's this feeling. It just keeps you pretending, keeps you pretending. You wander, and when you wander. Now, with the, if I could speak to the younger generation, I think, I think the issue there is we love to be honest and then not do anything with it. So, yeah, man, I'm just really struggling with this. And it's just horrible, and I'm horrible. Hey, you want to go get some pizza? It's just like, you don't like, 
deal with the issue. So you live under this front of being genuine and honest, but you're, you're still not doing anything about it. You're still not responding to the invitation of Jesus. So I think this hits us from every place, but whatever it is today, what is it? What is it? Don't ignore it. I know when you, you know, it's just like when you first, you know, when you're first walking with Jesus, it's just kind of like there's all this zeal and God says, do this, do that, go here, do this. I'm I'm leading you this way. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. But then there's a moment where it's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. And you can repent of that and then you can find your rest. But if you, if you didn't, if you didn't, what that leads to, it just, it just leads to more and more hard, uh, unbelief. And then it, what happens, what this verse is talking about, there is a hardening of your heart. Where it's, it's like you have a, like a standing knockout. If you guys watch fighting, whatever, it's like, you know, they, they're, a standing knockout is when someone is, looks conscious, but they have no idea where they're at. And so it's like you, you look like you're, kind of playing the part, but you're just like, you're just dazed, and you have no idea what's happening is you're, you just, your heart's gotten hardened, and, but the, if it's today, here's the good news, here's the good news, here's the good news. God's mercy is new every morning. I don't care how well-worn that path is around that same mountain is, his mercy is new every morning. And his invitation today is, will you come and find rest? So what if you did that? What if today, aren't you tired? Aren't you exhausted of trying? Aren't you exhausted of pretending? Aren't you exhausted of trying to appease the gnawing in your soul? But what, if to, what would it mean for your life? What would it mean for your family? What would it mean for your marriage? What would it mean for your friends? What would it mean for this community? What would, it, what would it mean if you, today, if you heard that today, today you said yes to Jesus, today you received the invitation, say, I'm not going to wander anymore. I've said no to God, and I know where that leads. So I'm going to give something else a try. I'm going to say yes to him. There's something that's causing you to say no. And Jubilee isn't perfect by far, but man, we're hoping to be this place of grace and mercy and acceptance and where we're honest and there's genuine, and 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 we're we're not just being honest for honesty's sake, but we're being honest so that we can encourage each other in love and good deeds. And I mean, it's one of the big pushes around why we do something like a secret series. You get these five amazing people who've all had God's grace and mercy deal in in these areas. And they're willing to say, hey, look, I've gone through some dark things, but as dark as it got, God's grace and mercy and love in my life was that much more. To demonstrate that we don't have to run and hide. We don't have to isolate. We don't have to wander, but we can truly come in and find rest. We can truly come in and find the home that our hearts are looking for. And if you're like me, it's like, well, how is that even possible? I mean, how, what, you know, what's the power here? What's the, how does this even work? And Here's the great thing about Jesus is that he, he gave up his home so that we can have a home. Jesus says that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He gave up his home in heaven so that we can have his home. And on the cross, when he said, Father, forgot, Father, 
forgive them for, the, for they do not what they do. Father, and why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. He was cut off from the land of the living so that we can be grafted back into his family. So we can be rock solid confident. We don't have to say, is this really real? Is what you're saying true? Yes, because we can look at the cross. We could see what Jesus did for us, that he took our sin and he took our sin to the bottom of the Red Sea where he buried it. And then we came out on the other side, free, righteous, no condemnation. We don't have anything to work on. It's in the past. It is gone. And now in this life, there's this invitation, though, to walk in his life. The devil can do nothing to snatch you away from the Father's hand but he can make your life miserable. Receive the invitation today for rest. Whatever it is that's causing unbelief in your heart, deal with it today. Not tomorrow, today. Do it today. Today, if you hear his voice. Today, if you hear his voice. Why don't you get out your communication card?